Hi, it's Max. And I'm Henry Lin, and welcome to Better World. Better World is an exploration of badass people doing really cool things. The more we know about this world, the better we can do in changing. Let's do it. Max is stoked today. I, I love a good day when Max is stoked. I went to the farmer's market and I got beautiful flowers, so I'm in a great mood. I'm in a uh, quoting uh, horrific memes mood, um, uh, some really bad ones, but also some classics like, you know, the damn Daniel. I started randomly saying back at it again with the white vans. It's been a great day for me. <laughs> Nico, did so you get that? Really I just, I just want to know. Yeah. You did? Okay, okay, okay. I, I actually did because I literally just started doing the same thing last week. <laughs> so, Scrolling yes. through memes late at night, my favorite activity? No, 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 the damn Daniel. Oh, okay. The exact meme. <laughs> you are not I happen to be married alone. to someone named Daniel, so that one comes up a lot. There you go. Oh, there wow. I didn't know your husband's name. This is great. We're going to have to learn more about this. Nico Michelson is the co-founder of Systemic, uh, an investment firm and systems lab focused on funding systems change. One of the largest questions that we have had at Better World and that we've been examining um, is how do you create real change within major corporations? Our assumption at first when we began this podcast was that it required the consumer to really vote with their dollar uh, toward companies that are creating that change and have been uh, built from the ground up to create that change rather than retooling uh, some of the biggest perpetrators and the largest conglomerates on the planet. But it turns out that some of the biggest perpetrators are already retooling themselves. And there is a way to analyze their entire value chain, not just the supply chain or other individual pieces of the business, but the entirety of the business and say, hey, here are places where you can do something very differently that makes you more money and also is better for the world. Shocking revelations, people. Today with us, win-win, Nico Michelson. Nico, welcome to the pod. Thanks for coming Thanks. on. Thanks so much for having me. It's exciting. Tell us a little bit about Systemic and some of the work that you have been able to do. Yeah, well, so as you mentioned, um, our core focus is really to, to fund systems change because what we have um, sort of noticed over the way that we have tried to do impact investing, ESG investing, sustainable investing, many different types uh, of investing with sort of like uh, uh, a core focus on, on doing good or not doing harm is that we actually haven't really moved the needle much on some of the big challenges in the world. And there's a whole host of reasons why that is not the case. Um, but, but one of the core ones is that we have been very busy addressing symptoms and not really getting to the root cause of what causes these issues to, to begin with. Um, and, and we noticed the fact that a lot of times when in investments were being made and, and money was, was being you know, shuffled around and put into companies, um, it tended to focus very much on that like single point thing that it was trying to change. Um, whether that be a, a technological improvement or, you know, in a, in a, a private equity setting, uh, trying to change infrastructure, whatever it might be. And we just noticed that there was not a lot of, uh, of holistic frameworks of looking at investments and looking at how um, different assets sit together in portfolios and are synergistic towards outcomes. Um, and instead of what impact investing and, and ESG investing has, has largely become, um, which is a, a checkbox exercise, rather than looking at what is it actually we're achieving with, with, uh, with a lot of these investments. And so we, we set out to, to do that 
through investing in systems change rather than, than trying to solve symptoms. Can you give our audience a quick 101 on ESG investing and impact investing? Sure. So, so you could, the, the, the general consensus, and the, here's the thing. Um, there are a million different um, ways of defining these things, um, but the general consensus is that if you move from sort of one end of the spectrum, which is normal investing, which is um, you're solely looking for a return on your capital, uh, and then move into ESG and uh, sustainable investing where you're trying to, to not do harm, and then you move into sort of impact investing where you're, you're actively trying to do good, and then over into philanthropy um, where you're trying to solely do good and not uh, make a profit on it. And, and sort of that whole spectrum, and if you look at where the money is deployed, um, a lot of that sits within the ESG or the sustainable investing spectrum because that is where pension funds, institutional investors, so on and so forth, um, play. Um, so that's where most of the money is today. That makes a tremendous amount of sense, right? And um, can you, so as you're giving uh, contextually the, the 101 on this, um, can, there's like a Ralph Wiggum in the back of my head um, that's like, you know, on behalf of the audience and on behalf of myself is saying like, what's a value chain, choo-choo? Um, uh, can you uh, contextualize where, uh, some examples perhaps, um, uh, there are opportunities in your average major company's value chain um, for this type of investing and, and, and how the fit occurs? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so, so basically, the, the first thing I want to preface this with is like everything exists in a system, right? So we exist in a system in our social systems, the, the friends that we evolve ourselves with, um, with, in the city we're in, in the country we're in, in the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the same way a, a corporation exists within many different systems. So if you take, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, a company like Nestle, they're, uh, for instance, involved in, in food systems. They're involved in supply chains. They're involved in localized production apparatus. In all these things, you can basically look across them and start saying, how do these things move? Uh, how are these things causally linked, right? So um, if, you, if you take um, uh, the, the food supply chain, right, you have a food that's being produced uh, on the farm then you have that shipped to somewhere and then you have it uh, processed and then you have it uh, shipped somewhere else and then you have it consumed. Um, and in that, it's a, it's a whole chain of links. So if we start at the first place where um, we're at the farm, you know, um, we have had a, um, a way of doing farming for roughly speaking the last uh, 50 or so years um, that has uh, tried to utilize uh, or optimize for one thing only, and that is the yield per acre. And so what is, that has led to is a situation where we have pretty much discarded any other metric um, that is around that, and we have um, started using pesticides, herbicides, et cetera, just to improve, improve that, that yield. And um, if you look at that from the perspective of, say, uh, a Nestle or another big corporation that is within the food uh, sector, um, then we are starting to look at how does that interplay with sort of how we, how we value health in our, in our society, right? So there are all these loops around where you can't just talk about food without talking about energy, without talking about health 
without talking about all these adjacent systems that feed into and are connected together. Oh my God, I was just speaking on mute. I'm like the worst <laughs> guy ever. Oh, so horrible. Um, the, the systems that you have outlined um, are basically, uh, they're the underpinnings of every corporation, right? They're, they're sort of like standardized across all conglomerates. So I, I know I'm like walking you with the easy softball into this one, um, mm-hmm. but uh, are you able to help affect change across major corporations in multiple segments um, uh, with, you know, certain standardized practices? And if so, um, how? Um, it could, because I, I understand that through this and through a couple of different methods, it, it's applicable that you could, you know, potentially make really great impacts on a larger scale. And I'd love you to speak to that. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so, so essentially what we've developed is a way of to do this across different sectors, uh, 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 countries, uh, et cetera. And essentially it looks something like this from a high level perspective. We start with doing a systems audit where we are mapping out the systems in which uh, 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 a given corporation sits. Then we help them figure out where do they want to be, right? So um, decarbonizing a supply chain is not just about, um, you know, uh, buying more carbon credits. It's also about thinking about how do we, how do we capture some of the, ha- uh, uh, the, the, uh, the waste heat in, in the production of apparatus, etc. Um, and then we map out where, where, where. Right. It's not about to- the offset of a one-to-one. It's every no. single thing that you can do to make it more sustainable. Exactly. Exactly. There, there's like, there's this, there's this uh, concept of multi-solving, right? So you have to solve for mu- multiple things at once because everything has a trickle down effect, right? So, so to give you a very concrete example, biofuels. A lot of corporations are moving towards using biofuels as a way to get off of um, uh, uh, fossil fuels. Um, now, one of the, the, the main feedstocks of biofuels are different types of grains. So it could be maize, et cetera. It could also be sugar, a lot of different things. Um, the effect of that, of having a bigger uh, allocation of, 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 you could say, of, of grain that goes towards uh, feedstock for biofuels, means that there is less money for people, sorry, less food for people to eat. That means that when there's less food, the prices go up. Prices go up, people get hungry. People get hungry, people get hangry. People start causing issues. The same way if you look at what does it mean to say that there is less food, that means people will say, okay, we need to have more arable land, which means more deforestation, which means more soil degradation, which means less carbon sequestered and more carbon emitted. So trying to solve one thing, which was the first thing, which is you know, combating climate change and decarbonizing your supply chain, if you're not aware of how you're doing this, you can end up coast, uh, causing you know, a whole host of issues across other dimensions that you're maybe not aware of if you don't uh, like, you know, apply this multi-solving attitude or look into the systems of how this all interacts. I appreciate that example with the biofuels, especially because when we're solving for climate change, like with the environmental justice perspective, you're always trying to help the people at the bottom because climate change um, hits people the poorest first and worst is, is, mm-hmm. is the way it's always said. Um, so that example is so illustrative because we obviously never want to be 
doing something that would make it harder, for example, make food prices higher for people um, mm-hmm. who already are at the, the margin of affordability. So mm-hmm. that is, is such a great example in that sense to me. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's, you know, when, when you look at externalities um, uh, in general, so about 70% of all externalities end up at the bottom of the pyramid, right? So it is, it is uh, a very, very important point of all of this is that you, you, can't, you can't isolate the event saying, okay, we're only looking at climate change, so we're not looking at social or health or like all of these other things because they're, they're all interconnected, right? And, and the same thing, if you look at it from, from an investment lens, um, all of this, you can either look at it as, as, as you could say, risks that sits in social uh, dimensions or health dimensions or whatever it might be, um, but fundamentally it also comes back to the financial risk. So, so you can't say that we're just looking at the financial risk and not these other things because it will ultimately be linked. So by having a, a sort of a, uh, an approach where you look at the whole um, enables you to make better decisions on how you deploy your capital as well. Because if you're an institutional investor and you're investing in you know, um, uh, a large uh, uh, garment manufacturer, for instance, um, then you know, you're maybe producing in Bangladesh. Bangladesh is you know, um, um, uh, suffering from drought, famine, like all sorts of things that enable you to, or sorry, disable you from, from having the same output that you would normally have. So all of these, uh, you could say, ESG risks uh, that sit across and are the global challenges um, will ultimately have a financial impact on your, uh, your performance. I'm curious to know, obviously the companies you work with are people that are very willing to make these hard changes and, um, you know, what they might see as, take on what they might see as risk in order to uh, prevent like future disaster, future loss, profit loss, and um, all that kind of stuff. But do you still see when you're working with certain companies, kind of like, what are the challenges you face in convincing them to adopt a full full systems change approach? Because it, it's a lot. I'm sh- and I'm sure there's some hesitation. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it is a lot, right? And uh, the I think this is also why it hasn't really been done because it's not new for people to like do systems thinking and design thinking and all these things. Um, it is more the fact that it has um, seemed too abstract, I think, for people in the past to understand like, okay, well, how do we actually you know, engage and how do we take a systems approach? But it's actually not much different than, than, than simply just looking at uh, stocks and flows of different capital types, right? So up, up until now, we've mainly dealt with what you could call financial capital. So what is my financial, my, my financial P&L? What is the stock and flow? What's coming in and what's going out? But if you start expanding that notion of capital to, to include human capital, to include social capital, social capital, and to include natural capital, then all of a sudden you can start having these quite still, uh, uh, um, you know, quantifiable models where you say what is going in and what is going out and how are all these linked together? So if I, you know, in, uh, you know uh, invest something on the human capital, how does that affect the social capital or the natural capital 
and then ultimately the financial or vice versa. So, so it, it goes away from this um, sort of like um, a little bit of an esoteric, you know, let's, let's try and do everything under the sun to becoming something that is very, very tangible. And it's literally just, you know, um, a better way of looking at risk and opportunity. And, and so my personal view on this is that, you know, it's, it's not so much about talking about ESG or impact and all of that, because everything has an impact. It's just what is the net benefit that you're gaining by doing uh, action X or action Y. Can you give us an example of one project that you're like most proud of? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it needs to feel tangible now. I'm like with you and I'm like, I need to feel it. Yeah, yeah. So, so we, we just concluded uh, an investment in a company called Mosa, um, which is one of these, uh, you know, clean meat companies uh, akin to Memphis Meats and LF and et cetera. And basically what they do is that they, they it's like lab-grown meat, whatever you want to call it. Um, they essentially take a, a muscle cell and then they put it into this soup uh, and then they um, uh, create actual muscle tissue from that, and then they create uh, meat, like real meat. Um, and of course, that has a lot of implications for um, access to protein in the global supply chain, um, because you know, in order to grow a pound of meat, you don't have to grow an entire cow. Um, if you don't have to grow an entire cow, you don't have a cow that is running around farting and uh, putting out a lot of methane. Um, you don't have um, a lot of um, you know, land use to keep these cows alive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it has like all these different- um, Trickle down effects. Trickle down effects, exactly. And Simpsons exactly. references. Don't have yeah. a cow, man. Yeah, exactly. Um, but one of the things that we were ex especially excited about um, with, with Mosa um, was the fact that they're not using GMO techniques. Um, so when you're using GMO, you're essentially, and there are a lot of different things, but one of the things that you can do if you're, if you're genetically modifying, you can immortalize the cell line, which means that the cell will keep expanding. Um, now without having a, you know, a PhD in molecular biology, I think we can all kind of like think where, where that could lead. So not knowing that, that that will actually happen, but there is a risk there. Um, and so we were very excited about MOSA because they were not using GMO techniques. So they took the long way around to, to, to actually do this technology without having um, a situation where cells can, can essentially keep reproducing themselves. Um, and there was a lot of other things where we, we really felt that they understood where they sat in this system called, you know, the food system or the protein uh, system, right? Because they have some, some other IP that I can't, you know, unfortunately uh, go too much into right now that allowed them to think more broadly on not just, you know, how do we get uh, a burger on the plate on a high-end um, restaurant in San Francisco, but how do we think about getting, um, getting, you know, protein on the table for people, you know, across the world? And, you know, the protein um, problem that we will be having uh, is more to do with people getting into wealth more so than we don't have a not enough uh, protein around the world. So it's more of a, um, you could say, of, of a distribution problem 
then it is of a production problem because we are, you know, producing enough uh, food to feed the world many times over. Um, but when we lose, you know, one third of it, um, then that becomes an issue. So, and they had some very, very interesting uh, thoughts around that and some IP that supported that, that makes, made us quite excited about that solution in particular. How many times am I going to talk into a muted microphone? <laughs> wow. And today on our first Zoom recording comes the story of one man screwing up. It seems to me like this is an incredible time for a commercial break. So why not take it? Better World is brought to you today by our dear friends over at the Vintage Twin. Why, you ask? Well, it turns out in my heart and mind after thinking about uh, Veronica and after talking with a lot of people about fashion and hearing a tremendous number of statistics about how fashion is still one of the largest perpetrators in our global crisis, I'm leaning heavily into resale. That's right. Um, I believe deeply in uh, our ability as consumers um, uh, to choose really, really cool things um, uh, that are also uh, things that have already been produced and are being resold. So I encourage everybody to take a look at VintageTwin.com. Um, some of the best vintage stuff, uh, a really great styling program and platform uh, that is being automated into AI. Sick, killer. Um, and take a look inside your closets. Uh, if you have uh, a bunch of friends that are similar sizes to you, I highly recommend clearing it out, doing a little clothing exchange party. Just did one with my best friend, Baron Hansen. He's out in Brooklyn. Love that guy. Kindest man on the planet. And take what you have, reuse it, and resell it as well for that stuff that you don't give away. Um, take a look at some of the uh, more common reselling sites for your luxury goods. Um, uh, Real Real is a great one. Um, and think resell. Think vintage. Think great alternatives, not just constantly consuming the new shit. But yes, did I get the absolute plastic worst um, environmental perpetrator Nikes? I had to. The reacts look good. They were too fire. Um, but I also have my thousand fell shoes, which are killer too. So please, vintage twin, think resale, think vintage goods, vintagetwin.com. And we are back with Nico hey. uh, and Max. Oh, there's Max. Um, uh, Max, I bet you have um, uh, 3,400 questions. Um, uh, and Nico, I would love to ask a little bit more um, about what some of the micro steps are that you take to make all of these macro changes, um, mm -hmm. uh, both uh, on your company level and what your company is doing. Um, and then, of course, on uh, the individual consumer level um, and individual consumer participation. But Max, before we get to that, what are you feeling? I think we can segue pretty well. I more wanted to ask how you got into the space. And like, it sounds to me like you, you know, wanted to do your part to solve the climate, mm -hmm. climate crisis. So that's really personal to me. So just like a little bit of the background there and go into the, then maybe go into like the micro moves that Henry was talking about. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so, I mean, my, my background is as a serial entrepreneur. So I've started uh, a handful of companies. Um, the last one was um, a company where we basically developed this AI tool and overlaid it on consumer rights. 
Um, and we applied it to a very specific area where, you know, if your flight was delayed, you could get money back and, and we built a whole like automation engine around that. Um, now, as I uh, exited from that company, I, I, I started doing what I think um, a lot of founders do when they get on the other side of their company, they start investing in other founders. And at the time I was still living in the U uh, S and I started getting a little bit disillusioned with, with, you know, what, where most of the money was going. So it was, you know, another pizza delivery app, another dog walking app, you know, just, you know, a lot of things that didn't really solve or move the needle in the world. So I started, you know, digging deeper and trying to understand, you know, what, what is this intersection between, you know, technology, profit and purpose. Um, and, and that led me down this path of, you know, um, understanding that we had spent uh, a tremendous amount of money and a tremendous amount of time trying to fix uh, symptoms uh, instead of getting to, to the root causes because, um, you know, they're, they're, they're complex and they're messy, but there are ways of doing it. Uh, it, it just uh, takes time, right? Um, and so I'm sorry. Was, was, I know it's rude. I know it was rude at the outset. I still wanted to do it to the outset and do it now. Um, because, you know, you're too European to flex for yourself, which I really appreciate. And, you know, I respect that. But, you know, were you American, you would have mentioned, you know, the 500 employees and 160 million in revenue that you built in less than five years. Ooh. Excuse me. Yeah, no flex. Um, does CNN say he's a game changer shaping the future? Does Entrepreneur Magazine, um, having had named him, you know, one of the top 100 entrepreneurs, of the world um, uh, and Business Insider having named him uh, as one of the top 25 tech founders in New York, make him uh, one of the most eligible uh, eligible bachelors in Lisbon uh, and London for that matter. Yes, but his incredibly epic and powerful um, healer of a wife will hurt you. <laughs> I love her. Hi, Shosh. Miss you. Um, uh, you have more accolades uh, than uh, than you give yourself, and uh, and uh, you, you built something incredible. And I can hear in um, uh, your voice every time we speak about it um, that you do have that um, uh, true world changing desire. Um, but um, outside of uh, all of these wonderful things, there was something in pre production that you had mentioned um, about uh, what is wrong with um, uh, the investing world um, as a whole and your passion about why you want to change that. So perhaps I could point you uh, right over there too. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it, it, it really comes back to, you know, the, the way that we have viewed the world in silos, right? So you have, you know, a, a health investor, you have an energy investor, and you have, you know, these different silos that people operate in. Um, coming back to this point about systems where, you can't really isolate any of these events uh, or sorry, any of these effects, meaning that if you are only solely looking at what is health, then you're maybe missing a lot of that having to do to deal with, um, you know, nutrition and et cetera and all these other things. Um, and so what we have basically ended up with um, in, in the global financial system is a lot of, of specialist investors, which is not bad in this, in, as such, but very few people look across these different systems and say, how are they interconnected? And how does, you know, the way that I, you know, uh, uh, think about how we do our farming practice and invest in, in, in agriculture, how does that uh, affect our, our global health? 
or 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 some of these things. And it's and it's really sort of indicative, I think, of of the global financial system is that there is not a lot of holistic views. And that also comes back to, you know, one of the core problems has been that 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 you know what what has been deemed um, ESG or impact or whatever you call it, risk has not been priced into our, our models, right? So um, we have been plucking away at the lowest hanging fruits. And now we've gotten to a point where there are no low hanging fruits. So we need to actually think about, well, how do we build resilient systems? Um, and, and how do we invest in those? And, and, and how do we more, more importantly, how do we invest in solving challenges in a way where they stay solved and don't cause new problems in the process. That's so hard. I was thinking before when you were talking about how that's so hard and thinking about, you know, like social media and, and all who thought that like Facebook might be the, the, the reason why, you know, Trump won the 2016 election and like the <sighs> mass disseminator of disinformation, you know, things like Literally. that. It's just like, it's almost crippling um, and like paralyzing to be that mm-hmm. kind of thinker because it can almost stop you from doing anything. You can always, you can always run into trouble, you yeah. know, when you're yeah. thinking about yeah. that. Yeah. The quantum of infinite possibilities, Max. And infinite disasters. When, that, when, you, when, you're, when you're that kind of person, you know? Yeah, and, and I think that's also fundamentally what, what has stopped people from doing a lot of these things, right? Mm-hmm. Because it becomes, you know, just a brain ache at some point. Um, but, but the point here that, that we're trying to make and, and you know, the, the thing that I'm very passionate about is that it's actually not rocket science. It's, it's actually pretty straightforward if you just take the time to understand how these things are, are interconnected. Um, and it can totally be done. And, you know, and our, our thesis and, and what we're, we're proving and we're seeing now is that, well, it just also happens to be a better financial tool as well, in the sense that you have a better way of understanding your risk and opportunity um, that are beyond any notion of ESG or impact or finance first or impact first or whatever. It's all the same thing. I'm curious to know from your inside uh, stance in like the investment world, where people are really missing the point. Um, and just not understanding what it is that you're saying. Cause I'm just, I can relate it to some, like I come to better world and we have these great conversations with people that understand that they mm-hmm. can, that there is a big reward from doing good and mm-hmm. thinking like this. But mm-hmm. then in my personal life, constantly coming up in, against exactly opposite of that thinking. And then I was even thinking about it during the presidential debates when they're talking about fracking and not one person is bringing up, um, be it Joe Biden or any of the commentators I heard, that fracking has been a dying industry in the U.S. since before COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, like things like that. Or that like I spoke to my, uh, uh, a friend of mine at Morgan Stanley to, on some advice for... No, but they can't speak to that. They can't speak to coal, which is the same. The they same can't thing. Speak- All of it. It's, it. You know, and just like I was just saying, you know, I know that you're with Morgan Stanley, but I'd like to set up a bank account with Amalgamated because I want to be with an ethical bank. And these mm-hmm. people had absolutely no idea what I was talking about and went on a 15-minute um, parade telling me how Morgan Stanley has banned plastic from their office building. So I should really <laughs> applaud their efforts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The disconnect and, is crazy. 
there is there is a massive disconnect, right? And and if you look at how the how the financial system right now um, works in in relation to ESG and all these things, it's you know they they have ratings like Morningstar, MSCI, etc., and you're essentially benchmarking against that. But all of these ratings are based on data from companies that self-report using the big five or uh, big four usually, right? And so when you have self-reported data once per year retroactively, it doesn't really tell you much about what is the outcome, right? So, so when, when, you're, when you're doing any form of investing, you can kind of look at it as a value chain of what happens. You have an input, you put money in, then you have an output that creates an effect. Then you have an outcome, which is what is, what is, the, broader, what is the broader effect and what is that changing? And then you have an impact. Lastly, what is, what is the bigger change that that makes, right? So um, if you look at it from, from what has been happening in, in, the, in the ESG investing industry, it's all based on output, right? And that doesn't really say anything. So if, if you're, let's say you're doing um, microloans, and you have lent out $20 million in microloans, um, what does that really say about whether you've changed someone's life? Right? It, it may have, but most of the time, it's actually not being measured, and it's actually not being, uh, being uh, taken into consideration. So, so looking at outcomes as opposed to outputs is one of the really, really big differences that we need to, to make. And it, and it might seem you know, uh, like a nuance, um, but the, the effect that it has on our way of investing with starting with the end in mind is just so like earth shatteringly different, right? Because if you start with saying, I want to create a fair, equitable, uh, healthy um, food supply chain, um, that's very, very different than saying, we need to feed um, you know, X amounts of people. It's not that feeding X amount of people is wrong, but it's only part of the picture. And, and so if you only do that North Star, you end up with these problems that we have now where we have an entire farming uh, production system that's literally killing our soils and also you know, killing us in the meantime because the nutrient density of the food that we put in us is so poor. Nico, I have one final question for you. What in the fracking for Duke? See that? I don't curse anymore because I'm afraid <laughs> of our former producer. Can each of our individual listeners do to help make the world a little bit better in your opinion? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, there's obviously all of the, the individual things you could do in your own household, eat less meat, um, you know, know where your food is coming from. You know, go to your friendly neighborhoods, uh, farm to table market, like all these things. Um, think about uh, stuff like, you know, like, of course, like where do you use your energy and things like that. All of those things obviously totally add up and are all very, very important. I think the, the one of the main things that I can think of right now is, you know, how do you, like you said it to begin with, like how do you vote for your dollar? And not just as consumers, also as investors, right? Because we are, everyone that has a pension is a investor, right? And they are an, a small LP in this big fund of which we call uh, a pension. 
And so by holding our pensions, for instance, accountable for how they deploy our money, um, I think it's probably one of the highest leverage points that we can do right now. I have never thought of that. Divest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, there's, there's $90 trillion sitting there. So there's, there's, there's plenty of, 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 of money and, and firepower to really, really go in and change these things. And it, it is happening slowly. And for reasons I won't go into right now, there are some structural challenges that need to be put in place. But, but, but holding them accountable and saying, you are the steward of my money. Your fiduciary responsibility is to make sure that I have a nice retirement. And that doesn't just mean that I you know, can, can pay for my bills. It also means that I'm not you know, uh, dying from carbon monoxide poisoning and cancer, et cetera, et cetera through the food and the air that I breathe in. So status update, you said 90 trillion with the T is available um, in funds for that. Mm-hmm. And the current total divestment from fossil fuel projects as of October 5th was 14.5 trillion also with a T. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to watch that number as it goes up on GoFossilFree. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a fun number. That's a great number. Yeah. Um, also, that's like your Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really, really, really good set of feedback and uh, and numbers and statistics. Um, and I'm very, very interested um, in how you are going to ultimately hold corporations accountable. Uh, and it feels like a future Earth slash systemic collaboration episode. Uh, collaboration, excuse me. Um, uh, down the road. Who knows? Let's man? go. Let's for sure. I'm all in. Guys, thank you very, very much um, uh, for laying your hearts on the line, for putting it all out there, um, and for helping to make the world better. And thank you, listeners, for showing up today. Um, I'm Henry Lin. I'm Max Moynian. And this has been a number of really, really fun non opportunities for non-offensive jokes. And I made it all the way through an episode. Max, I want a cookie when this is done. But join us again next time because I probably won't be so lucky. Um, And we'll tell you a little bit more about how to make the world better. Woohoo!